25, uh, page 26 in the Church Bible. Uh, Genesis chapter 25, page 26, and we begin at verse 1. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Lethusites, and the Eliamites. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanoch, Abida, and Elda'ah. All these were descendants of Keturah. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Altogether, Abraham lived a hundred and seventy-five years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Beer the High Roy. Amen. This morning we come to our final uh, sermon uh, in the life of Abraham. And if I have counted correctly, uh, this is sermon number 22. I had not set out intending to preach 22 sermons on the life of Abraham, but uh, I, I trust that uh, it hasn't been wearisome. Uh, I want to thank you personally for your prayers. I have derived great benefit in my own personal walk with Christ uh, from the study of the life of Abraham, and I hope that you have had a share in that as we have thought about his life together in our morning services. Uh, I don't need to make an apology uh, for actually preaching 22 sermons on the life of Abraham. Because Abraham is the most significant figure in the Old Testament. The most significant follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we'll see later in our study, the New Testament picks up on this man's life of faith in Christ. This life of obedience to Christ. This life of service to Christ. And continually says to us, He is our Father. He is our Father. And we are sons of Abraham. And we all like to find out about our ancestors. And so, finding out about our greatest ancestor in the faith uh, in 22 sermons, I hope and believe has not been uh, too much. Now, we've followed this man's life since he was 75 years of age. 
And now at the time of his death, in chapter 25, he is 175 years of age. At 75, Christ spoke to him and called him out of his sin and brought him to faith and then began that life of faith. And we have seen Abraham follow Christ and live for Christ as within the context of the Old Testament. He doesn't know as much about Christ as we do. But he knows enough to know and to believe that the Son of God is going to come and is going to save from sin. This man Abraham, we've seen his failures uh, as he has lived for Christ. There have been mountaintop experiences and there have been dark valleys. There have been times when he's shown great strength. Think of when he was going to offer up Isaac, his son, as a sacrifice. And there have been times of abject failure. When he took Hagar and doubted the promise of God to give him a son by Sarah. We have discovered ourselves, I hope, in the life of this man. In his journey of faith. And this man has been like a lighthouse to us because he's pointed us faithfully and continually to Jesus as Saviour and Lord. Turn please then to Genesis chapter 25, page 26, where we want to look at the final stages or the final section of his life. I've mentioned already that there is a time reference in verse 7 when we're told Abraham dies at 175. There is no other time reference in this chapter. So what period of Abraham's life does it cover? Well, the last age reference that we have to Abraham is in Genesis 23. Sarah died at 127. Abraham was 10 years older than her. So he was 137. And he dies at 175. And I believe that this chapter covers the 38 year period from the time of Sarah's death to the time of Abraham's death. And if we take it that way, I believe it settles a lot of the questions that people often ask when they come to this chapter. Questions like, when precisely did Abraham marry Keturah? Was Sarah still alive? Who was Keturah? And why did Abraham marry her at all? And I believe that all of those questions fall away if we take this chapter as covering the period after Sarah's death, the period leading up to Abraham's death, a period of 38 
years. Now we want to note then this morning as we think of this period in Abraham's life, our theme is still bearing fruit in old age. We'll be singing those words later. Psalm 92. This is what the scriptures teach us to expect of the believer. That you and I, like Abraham, we will still bear fruit in our old age. And certainly Abraham did that in wonderful ways. Let's see how he did so through his descendants in the first place. His descendants. We're told in verses 1 to 4 about his marriage to this woman Keturah. And a better translation of verse 1 would be Abraham took again a wife. Not at the same time as Sarah, but subsequent to the death of Sarah. And that's a better translation. It's the New King James translation. There's a different word which means another or a further. And it's used of David. When David took further wives, the time that he already had wives. But that's not the implication here. Sarah is dead. And so Abraham now, in keeping with the will of God, uh, that one man is to be married to one woman, and if your spouse dies, Scripture permits a man or a woman, a believer, to marry again only in the Lord. And remember the loss and loneliness that we spoke of in Genesis 23 that Abraham experienced in the death of his lifelong companion in the faith, Sarah. And add to that now the fact that Isaac, three years after Sarah's death, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, he got married. And so there's the loneliness. There's the empty nest syndrome, if you want to put it like that. His wife dead, his son now set up in his own home. The loss and the loneliness. And so he marries Keturah. Now who is this woman Keturah? Well the scriptures don't go into a lot of detail. But let's remember. Abraham is the head of a large household. And Abraham has slaves. And this woman Keturah almost certainly is someone that has been in Abraham's household for many many years. This woman has seen Abraham live the life of faith. He has, she has seen uh, the ups and downs of his life. And now he takes her as his wife. And her name means perfume. Means fragrance. It means incense. Here's a woman whom we can expect that under Abram's household has herself come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And who is a fragrance to God. And who is a perfume to Abram by her gracious and godly character. Striking that this meaning, uh, the, the meaning of this word keturah, the Hebrew word is used of incense being offered up to God. Here's a woman. And her life 
is offered up to God like incense in the Old Testament worship. And what a perfume she was to Abraham in his old age. She brings new life, new vigour, new purpose to this man. This man isn't freewheeling his way into death. He's not wishing his way into heaven. This man is not uh, pining. This man is faithful and fruitful in his old age. And look at what happens in Genesis chapter uh, we read here now of these descendants that are born, six sons that are born to Abraham and Keturah. And we are a bit shocked at that, aren't we? And we think, here's a man, he didn't have any family, he was a hundred years of age, and now in his old age, he has six more sons. Why is this? Well, if you turn back to Genesis chapter 17, and I would encourage you to do that in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 17, verses 4 to 6, here's the reason why Abraham marries this woman in his old age. Yes, there's loneliness. Yes, there is loss. But in this man, Abraham, there's a sense the purpose of God is still not completely fulfilled in my life, even though Sarah is dead. Because what had God said to him in Genesis 17? My covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of one nation? No. Of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I've made you a father of one nation? No, many nations. And look at the last words. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come to you. Is Abraham a father of many nations at the time of Sarah's death? No. He's the father of two nations. Only two. Ishmael and Isaac. Is he exceedingly fruitful at the death of Sarah? No, he isn't. Only two sons. That can hardly equate with the word exceedingly fruitful or the description exceedingly grateful or exceedingly fruitful. So what then are we to make of Genesis 17? Was God exaggerating when he said this to Abraham? Was God speaking away, way down the line of Isaac and beyond Isaac and Jacob? Was he speaking of the time of the Exodus and then the time of the kings? No. This is going to be fulfilled in Abraham's lifetime. I will make you, Abraham, a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And so after Sarah's death, and following his marriage to Keturah, the final 38 years of Abram's life, Abram actually is at his most fruitful in terms 
of his descendants. Because here are these six sons. Uh, and if we took time, and I don't have time to do it, but I'll drop out the references for you. Jeremiah 25, 22 to 25, Exodus 2, verse 15, and you'll find a reference to some of these nations that later become tribes and, and rulers uh, and nations in their own right. And there's two that are singled out here uh, of the sons, Jokshan and Midian. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because in Exodus chapter 2, you'll find Moses fleeing from Egypt. And where does he go? He goes to Midian. And who does he meet? He meets a priest of Midian. Where did the priest of Midian come from? Who was the priest of Midian? The priest of Midian is a descendant of Abraham. The priest of Midian is one that is who has come to faith within this part of Abraham's family. And Moses is able to take a wife for himself from the daughter of this priest of Midian. You see, here's a man, and he's been fruitful. Abraham. In his old age. In the many descendants. And God is not going to build the covenant line through these descendants. But there are going to be individuals in these descendants. Perhaps quite a few. Perhaps a large number. Who believe also in the Christ. Because these sons. What will have become of these sons at eight days of age? They will have been circumcised under the covenant. Genesis 17. Genesis 18 and verse 19, I think it is, where it was said of Abraham, he will command his household in the ways of God. Abraham will train up these sons to the day of his death in the ways of Christ. And so here's a man, and he's fruitful in his old age. Seeing God's covenant promise being fulfilled, Right through to the day of his death. Within Isaac's line, he sees actually his grandchildren, Jacob and Esau. They are 15 years of age at the time of Abram's death. You and I look at our lives. And perhaps the early years of our lives haven't been particularly fruitful. Maybe we look and we can't see a lot of people who are our spiritual descendants. There's maybe one here and another there. Could it not yet be that in the final years of our lives, God will give us a fruitfulness in the kingdom, in witnessing to Christ, and seeing people coming to Christ, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbours, our friends. That means that we too are fruitful in old age, his descendants. But then let's move on and notice secondly, his heir, his heir. And we're looking now at verses 5 and 6. Before the birth of these additional six sons, there was only Isaac. In Abraham's household, you remember Ishmael already had been sent away. 
And so had Abraham died at any point, everything that he had was going to go to Isaac. But now there are six sons, plus Isaac. And it is necessary for Abraham to appoint and name his heir and distribute the inheritance. Now in that culture in that day, you didn't do this by going to the solicitor's office and making a will. What you did was you divided your assets between your sons while you were still alive. And later in the time of Moses, God will specify that it was a two-thirds, one-third division between the older son and the younger sons. So we're told here about Abraham, verse 5. He gave all that he had to Isaac. To Isaac. But we would say, hold on Abraham, you've got seven sons. Why this favoritism? Is this favoritism? Or was this simply Abram saying, well, Isaac is much older than these other boys. Remember, Isaac was 37 at Sarah's death. And he's 75 at Abram's death. If these sons were born between the two deaths, then Isaac is their senior by 30, 40 Years or thereabouts. So is it just a matter of age? Why did Abraham verse 6 give gifts and only gifts to the sons, uh, the other sons? Well, the answer doesn't lie in Abraham showing favoritism. It's nothing to do with the age of Isaac. It's all to do with who Isaac is is in God's purpose and plan. And what Isaac stands for and symbolizes. You see, while Abraham has other sons who are going to be in the kingdom of heaven, yes, that's going to happen. But there's one son, the son born to him and Sarah, and he is the covenant line, the one that will have a straight line down through to Jesus coming himself. And so he's a special place. He is pride of place in God's purpose and plan. And so Isaac, as Abram's son, through Sarah, has been promised the land of Canaan. And so it's right now that Abraham makes Isaac his sole heir, giving him all he has in Canaan. And that is why also, verse 6, while he was still living, he sent the other sons eastward, towards Ur, towards Babylon, out into the Arabian desert. Why? Away from Isaac his son, to the country of the east. You see, the land of Canaan is for Isaac. It's for the covenant line. So his heir. His heir. What can we learn from Abraham? This man in Christ. 
How is he an example to us? How is he a challenge to us in this? Well, he's still bearing fruit in old age, governing all his affairs in accordance with the purpose of God, doing what God wants, doing it in a way that's just, giving Isaac the lion's share, but also giving gifts to the other sons. He's acting in faith. He's acting with wisdom. He's making sure there's no quarrels over his inheritance when he's dead. He's acting with generosity. He's acting with kingdom priorities in mind. And so should you. And so should I. Right into old age. To the moment of our death. Till we draw our last breath. We should be thinking about the purpose of Christ for my life on this earth. The things that he's called me to do. The opportunities he's given to me. The people he's placed around me. How I can continue to extend the kingdom right through to the day of my death. And even beyond my death. By the way I settle my affairs. It means in our day and age, if it's not clear who will be your heir in terms of material things, then get to the solicitors quickly and make a will. And sort out with your wife before God the priorities. Who is to be the chief heir? Is there, is there to be a chief heir? Is there one who's more needy than another? Is there a way in which you're to, to do this with wisdom are you, you're to do it certainly to avoid quarrels with your children. Are you to be more generous towards one than another? There may be a justifiable reason for that in the sight of God. But you're to give gifts to all if you're sharing among your children. But here's the point. In distributing our wealth, could it be that we should think of kingdom priorities? Perhaps we should say, my children are established. They've got a career. They've got a means by which they can earn a living. And here are resources that God has given me. How could I use those? How could I leave those for the extension of the gospel? For the witness of the church? For the extension of mission? So that the purpose of God and the promise of God is being fulfilled further. Until the coming of Christ. You see that's what Abram's doing. He's acting in old age. To fulfill God's promise further. And to further. Sorry. To fulfill God's promise. And to further God's kingdom. So that Christ will come. That's what we're doing. With our wealth. Act to fulfill God's promise. And to further God's kingdom. So that Christ will come again. In his glory. Let's notice then thirdly. His obituary. Or his death notice. Still bearing fruit. In old age. And it's evident here. In his death notice. It's very striking. When you read Genesis 1 to 25. In one go. And there's a record there. Of 20 generations. Of believers. Men, 
particularly, it's the key men. It's not the only believers, but the key believers, the key men in God's purpose. And interestingly, that was a point we were making to the men on Thursday evening in the men's get-together, that men are significant in the purpose of God. And so I would ask you to pray for that challenge to the men, that they would recognize that. But here we have 20 generations reconciled to God in Christ, forgiven their sins in Christ, declared righteous in God's sight through Christ, the Christ who will come. Now, here's the point. Of those 20 generations, one did not die. Enoch, Genesis 5, 24, walked with God and was no more For God took him without death. Of the other 18, leaving Abraham to the side for a moment, because he's different. Of the other 18, from Adam through to Terah, we will read this phrase every time. And he died. Genesis 5, read through the chapter. We saw it when we looked at this chapter a couple of years ago in our first series of studies in Genesis. And he died, and he died, and he died. Then go through to Genesis 11, verse 32, and you're with Terah, and we're told of Terah. And he died. Very simple, very concise, very bold, and to the point. And it's the reality of human existence. And it will be said of you, and it will be said of me. And he died. And she died unless, of course, Christ comes first. And if you're not saved this morning, you need to face up to the reality of the moment of your death. And that if you're not saved, the moment of death, you will enter hell. But those of us who are believers, we're to remember, this is where we're going also. We're going to death. Yes, we're going to heaven to glory, to be with the Father, but it says, and he died. Now, here's the point. Look at what it says now about Abraham. Look at verses 7 to 10. And it doesn't just say, it doesn't in fact say, and he died. Moses now writing about Abraham, and he's written about these other deaths earlier, he makes a much more extensive and fuller statement about Abraham. Why? Because Abraham is so significant in the purposes of God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and right down to the time of Christ's coming again. He's the model believer, if you want to put it like that, for you and me. And so what are we told here? Well, look at verse 7a. He lived 175 years. Remember, 75 of those were in unbelief and error, worshipping the sun god. A hundred of those have been in Canaan. Uh, worshipping God in Christ and looking to Christ. And so, in all of our lives, we've got to be able to look at our lives. It'll be true of many of our lives here, we'll be able to say there were so many years, and there were years when I worshipped what was false. And I lived ungodly, like Abraham and Ur. But by grace, then there's this period of my life, and I trust like Abraham, it's a longer period of our life, that God's grace in Christ has come to us when we're early, early in life, so that we have many years with which to serve him. 
And this man is still serving his Saviour a hundred years later. What a testimony it is when a man or a woman lives a long life and at the moment of their death they are still serving Christ. Look at the words then in verse 8 which tell us about the man's life at death. It doesn't just say he died. Look at what it says in verse 8. Breathed his last and died a good old age full of years gathered to his people. And those words are meant to convey the idea of a long life. A fruitful life. A useful life. A satisfying life. And in fact, a good old age is picked up from Genesis chapter 15 and verse 15. That's what God promised Abraham in Genesis 15. You will live to a good old age. You see, it's a picture of a man who's mature in Christ. He's like a fruit in an autumn garden, ripe and ready for picking. And men and women, that's our goal. Whatever the years of our lives, that we, whether we reach a good old age or not, that we will be full of years, will be ripe and ready for God to pick. And then was gathered to his people. What does that mean? Well, it can't mean that he was gathered to Sarah because it talks about that later, being buried with Sarah. can't mean he was taken back to Ur because he wasn't taken back to Ur. Gathered to his people means he was gathered to heaven. At his death, his soul left his body. It was made perfect in holiness and immediately entered into glory. You see, here's a man gathered to his people, gathered to those that he loved to be with on earth. Believers. Dwelling now in God's house forever. Then he was buried. Notice he was buried. Notice he was buried by Isaac and Ishmael. Verse 9. Notice both sons. Isaac is the believer. Isaac, the covenant heir, taking the lead. But Ishmael, the unbeliever, he's not left out because he is also Abraham's son. How important it is in our families when it comes to a time of death that we don't exclude a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister, especially if they're those who haven't believed. Or perhaps there's been some difficulty in relationship and there's an awkwardness about coming together. An awkwardness maybe about inviting them even to the funeral of the death. We shouldn't do that. Because here the believer and the unbeliever, the Isaac and the Ishmael, come together and bury Abraham. Both have opportunity to mourn. And both bury him. So here's Abraham. He lived by faith. He died in faith. He was gathered to his own people in faith and he was buried in faith. 
This is the very plot of land that Abram had purchased as a down payment, as a deposit for the promise God had made that the whole land would be his. And his descendants. And so he's laying hold of that in faith. Here's a man who's also expecting the resurrection by faith. And we expected that with regard to Isaac if he killed him, that Isaac would rise from the dead. So the question this morning is, are we bearing fruit? Whatever stage we're at in life, whether it's middle age, teenage, old age, are we living in a way that is by faith in Christ? If you were dead this morning, how would your obituary read? Would it read still bearing fruit in old age? Full of years. Gathered to heaven to believers. Buried by your family in faith. Looking to the Christ. You see it is how you live now. That decides how you will die. If you're not living now for Christ, you've no reason to believe that you will die in Christ. No reason. That's presumption. That's arrogance. That's foolishness. If you're not living now for Christ, you've no grounds for saying you're going to be gathered to God's people when you die. So let's live by faith now in the Son of God. But then let's finally see this morning his blessing. His blessing bearing fruit in old age. His blessing. As I mentioned, Abraham is a spiritual giant in the Old Testament. Remember those promises that the Lord made to him when he called him? What did he say? I'll make you a great name. And isn't Abraham in the great name still to this day? The great the world religions, including the false religion of Islam and present day Judaism, they honour Abram above all others. It's a fulfilment of this passage and of God's promise. And he also promised that he would give Abraham and make him a great nation. And that uh, was fulfilled. And has been fulfilled down through the centuries. It's still being fulfilled today. Because you and I who believe in Christ. We are part of that great nation. And then he was told. That he would have worldwide influence. And he has worldwide influence today. As believers are found. The sons of Abraham are found throughout the earth. So he's a giant. In the Old Testament. In New Testament. And. Let me just mention some passages you want to follow this up and see how he's referred to again and again as the model believer, as the father of all believers. Romans 4, Galatians 3, Hebrews 6, Hebrews 7, Hebrews 11, James 2, Acts 3, Acts 7, Matthew 1, Luke 1. Major, major figure 
And you see, the point is, what happens when the spiritual giant dies? Does everything die with him? No, it doesn't. All God's blessing promised to Abraham and embraced by Abraham through faith in Christ, it now becomes that of Isaac. Look at verse 11. After the death of Abraham, God blessed his son Isaac. That's the blessing of Genesis 12. And the striking thing, do you know what the striking thing is? Isaac is now 75. As Abraham was 75 when the blessing had been bestowed upon him. You see, the individual dies. Abraham dies. Isaac will die. Jacob will die. Joseph will die. David will die. Peter will die. Paul will die. John will die. You will die. I will die. But the blessing goes on and on and on. Why? It's not because of Abraham. It's because of God. And because of his covenant. And because this blessing is in Christ. And so Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3 these words. Christ has redeemed us. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Christ has redeemed you that the blessing of Abraham would be upon you. You'll be a great nation. You have a great name. Name above every other name. And you are going to have worldwide dominion the new heavens and the new earth that Christ is going to usher in that is coming. See, the blessing goes on. And the blessing is still greater in the future. But the blessing is to those who not only profess faith, but who bear fruit in teenage years, in middle age years, and in old age. And Abraham challenges us not just to profess faith in the Son of God, but to bear fruit. Because if we're not bearing fruit, our faith is spurious and it's false. But if we're living by faith in the Son of God, what a wonderful thing it is, right into the last moment that you draw your last breath, you will bear fruit. Amen.